Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business. Welcome, everybody. We are here with Indie Game Business. I am Jay Powell, CEO of Powell Group, and I've got with me Fernando Riza, who's the Hello. Oh, sorry, who's the CEO of Modern Wolf. And so today we're going to be talking about the state of indie game publishing, and you know all the questions that you all have, and questions that I have because I basically just use this podcast to information out of people every week um but <laughs> fernando's been doing this for a long time as well so it, it's going to this is going to be a fun hour and i will tell you between fernando and i uh this is probably not a episode you want small children listening to because oh, no. going to be some language involved <laughs> but you know with that like i always say i don't think you can have an honest discussion about the game the business of games without cursing so it's all good so we're going to start where we always start and this is like the, the most fun part tell us how you got into the industry and walk us through your career up to this point oh man how did i get into the industry uh i mean well first off jay thanks for having me um big fan I, I, I watch the show every chance I get, and uh, it's pretty cool to be on. Oh, good. So you um, understand how organized we are. Okay, good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I feel like I'm among among kindred spirits here. <laughs> so, yeah, that's good. Um, how did I get into the industry? I mean, I got into the industry, I think, the way a lot of folks did, just through sheer force of will and persistence. Um, I started out in advertising and PR. I worked for agencies in, in New York and London. Um Anybody who's worked in big agency advertising or, or PR knows that um, most people don't last very long in that. It is a, a super aggressive and uh, uh, fast-paced environment, and people burn out. I, I mean, I remember my first day walking into an ad agency going, wow, there's nobody in here over the age of 40. I wonder why that is. And um, once I got north of 30, I, 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 I was really starting to burn out. And I, uh, I told my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, I told my girlfriend, hey, I'm, I love games and I've loved games my whole life. And I'm a great game designer. And I, I know that I'm a great game designer. I'm going to go make games. And my, and my girlfriend was like, that sounds like a stupid idea, but okay. <laughs> um, and, and so I did it. So I, I basically, I, 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 I saved, up a, saved up a bunch of money and... Uh, said by hook or by crook i'm gonna work my way into the games business and so i had a bunch of games this is a super truncated version of the story but i designed some games uh i pitched publishers for funding got funding from publishers to make these games uh working with with studios here in the uk um my game sucked it turns out i was not 
I was not a good game designer. Uh, joke was on me. Um, but what I what I found was that oh gosh, you know, with my advertising and, and PR background, you know, pitching was my whole life, and pitching had been my whole career up until that point. And I was great at pitching. I was probably better. Uh, you know, not trying to be a jerk about it, but I was probably better at pitching than most folks were, just because I had done it so much. Um, and so I had a a reasonably unique skill set, I think, in the games industry. And so I I, uh, I took that and said, okay, if I'm not a game designer, maybe I'm supposed to be doing this. And so I worked for years um, with indie studios uh, here in Europe and back home in the States and kind of all over the world, really, um, doing business development, helping them find publishing deals, working with... Uh, uh, all sorts of different folks, and also you know doing marketing, doing doing PR help uh, here and there. And I did that for a long time. Uh, I ended up um, working at Splash Damage here in London, um, where I was the director of marketing and business development for a while. And I, the whole time I was there, I, I, I loved that job and I loved that studio. I still do. And um, but the whole time I was there, I was plotting my return to indie games because I had seen so many different indie publishing deals over the years, I thought, you know what, I could do this and I could do this. I could maybe do this better because, um, and now I've been talking for, for 10 years, but but the reason I started Modern Wolf was because I thought I could create a competitive advantage out of treating devs like people and treating devs well and, and trying to create long lasting repeat relationships with devs. Uh, because the thing that I saw was that a lot. There are a lot of great indie publishers, but there are also a lot of kind of predatory ones that sort of treat devs as interchangeable cogs and just crank them out. Um, and I thought if you made a publisher that was focused on long-term relationships and not treating developers like interchangeable parts, you would ultimately do better. And so that's kind of the hypothesis behind Modern Wolf. And here we are. We're about you know a little less than uh, than a year and a half into the project, and it's going all right. A year and a half, that's like an eternity in, yes. in the game industry. So, yeah. But I mean, that's what a lot of us did when we got started. It's, it's like, mm -hmm. okay, I can, because I was the same way. It's like, oh, I can design a game, you know, yep. and I did design so, some games. And then I, you get to the questions that, like, my son's friends always ask me, it's like, oh, what games have you worked on that, that I would know? And I'm like, not a damn one. There's just, yeah. you're not going to recognize anything that I've been. <laughs> part of that's the that's game development but it, it is it's a you get into it because you have a, a passion for it and so yes. that was gonna be my next question it's like how did a, a, a u.s marine end up in london mm. but i guess you moved over when you were doing splash damage or no 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 i moved so i moved over when i was still in in, in pr i mean i um i was um i was in the marines when i was a kid from when I was 19 to when I was 24, uh, just because I went to university for a semester when I was 18, like everybody else. And I went to class twice. And, uh, you know, basically I, I smoked pot and played Goldeneye uh, and, and did not go to class. And at the end of that semester, my dean was like, why are you, why are you here? <laughs> Do not come back. So I was like, okay, I, I and I kind of made the first sort of mature realization of my life up until that point. And I said, okay, I'm not ready for college. Um, 
I should do something <laughs> to to inject some discipline into my life. And so I joined the, I joined the Marines, um, and uh, and that worked because when I got out five years later, uh, I was a great college student, <laughs> and I went to class, and I didn't spoke pot and play. I mean, I spoke a little pot, but I didn't play that much Goldeneye. Uh, and I, I went to, I five went, years later, nobody was playing. Yeah, Goldeneye. no, you know, who's playing Goldeneye in two thousand four? But yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, w I went to Columbia. I went to Columbia, New York. Uh, I, and uh, I was in New York. And in if you were a young, internet-savvy nerd in New York City in the mid-2000s, you could fall out of a tree and get a job at an ad agency because that was the, the apex of the media business freaking out about the internet and going, oh my God, this thing called Twitter, How do we, what do we do? Uh, quick, you're a nerd, uh, do you want a job? And so uh, I, I, I was in the right place at the right time. Like I have been plenty of times in my career. Uh, I'm, there's a lot of luck that got me to where I am. Um, and yeah, I, so I, I, I was part of, uh, uh, eventually, I worked at a PR agency called Ketchum, and, and I was part of the, the interactive strategies group, they called us. We were basically just the stunt team, right? Because every, every client, every PR client on the planet in 2008 was like, we want to go viral. We've, we've, we've seen viral videos, and we want that. So how do we go viral? And, and me and the guys that worked with me realized if you want to go viral, it's not about doing an internet thing. It's about just doing something memorably funny. So we came up with, we were basically just the wacky ideas team. And like, we, we came up with the idea that, okay, one of our clients was Dr. Pepper. And so we said, you know, Dr. Pepper's target audience, like they're not relevant with young people. Young people don't really drink Dr. Pepper anymore. They wanted to, they wanted that 25 to, to, to 30 year old uh, audience again. And so we said, okay, you know, Guns N' Roses has been working on Chinese democracy for the last like 15 years. Let's <laughs> let's have Dr. Pepper challenge Axl Rose to release Chinese democracy this year. And if he does it, we'll give everybody in America a free Dr. Pepper. And they did that. And it was a huge success. We got written up everywhere. You know, New York Magazine, the L.A. Times, blah, blah, blah. Dr. Pepper challenges Guns N' Roses to release Chinese democracy. And we were just like, we're geniuses, patting ourselves on the back. And then fucking Axl Rose is like, okay. And they released Chinese democracy. And we had to jump through our own asses to figure <laughs> out how to give everybody in America a free Dr. Pepper. But, like, that was a great problem. Like, the client loved that, right? The client was like, well... We don't know how we're going to do it, but you guys, we'll just pay you guys to figure it out. So that, so our team was a big success, right? Like we did lots of stuff like that. You know, we did stuff for like Stride Gum and all kinds of different um, brands. And they eventually just said, hey, this team works. Do you want to move to London and start a team like this in London? I said, all right. And so they shipped me over here and I've been here ever since, basically. Although I, I did learn when I got here, like, Stuff that we as Americans think is just absolutely fucking hilarious. Like British people do not think it's <laughs> And like, given that my whole career was built around, here's a fucking funny idea. I got here to London and I'm like, okay, we're gonna, I don't know, you know, we're gonna put up a picture of the queen and encourage people to like throw fucking fruit at it. Oh yeah, that, that'd like, go great. That's <laughs> yeah, like every idea I had, like my British clients were like, oh no. I don't think so. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, it was uh, 
what, what I decided to radically change careers, part of it was just because I was beating my head against the wall trying to get uh, British British PR clients to do wacky stunts. So, yeah. So, <laughs> what? I mean, we can get into the whole how COVID has thrown wrenches and all kinds of shit. Mm. But yes. in general right now, what what's the state of, of indie game publishing? In general, the state of indie game publishing is hugely competitive. <laughs> I mean, the um, the there are so many good games and so many good indie game publishers right now. Uh, it's scary, man. It's it, it's it, it, it's it is a tough environment to find elbow room in. Um, when you find a good pitch, you immediately discover that there are three or four other indie publishers talking to the same outfit, uh, considering the same pitch as you. When you sign a game, it is almost always a competitive environment. And uh, it, it's almost always somebody has signed with you uh, having considered offers from other publishers. So it's... Um, uh, you know, the if you get the ICO Partners Steam newsletter, and if you don't, you should. Uh, the ICO Partners Steam newsletter has a nice little inventory of how many games came out of Steam last week, every week, and that number has been ticking up every month uh, since before I I started Modern Wolf, and uh, it's it's crowded space, and I. I COVID has disrupted a lot of things, but it has not slowed down the pace of great games coming out. And it's uh, it's exciting to me as someone who likes games uh, and someone who likes playing. You know, I still play tons of indie games uh, to the extent that my, my wife and children allow me to do so, but uh, my business. But um, it's it's exciting, but it's also, you know, you it encourages us at Modern Wolf to be humble, question everything we think we know, reappraise stuff, um, and and just you know keep our swords bright because it is it is a competitive environment and we have to, we really genuinely believe that we have to go out and give it our absolute everything every week uh, just to just to to keep up. It's tough. So I mean, and that's interesting because we often talk about how competitive it is out there for for developers but mm. it's, it's interesting to get that feedback that's the same way on on your side and oh yeah you know we've got some publishers that we're talking to are seeing a hundred games a week being submitted to them yeah and that's crazy i mean it's crazy. absolutely it's it's absolutely nuts. And so, I mean, that's going to get into, so our, our first question here is from John Henley Montreal on Twitch. Hey when meeting a new dev for a publishing opportunity, what is the minimum amount of material or work mm. that you expect to see? So I'm going to, I'm going to answer this in a way that's going to make me sound like a real elitist asshole, but oh, okay. I'm, that's I, good. I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you super straight. It depends. It depends on who you are. It depends on what your track record is. Right. Um, if you have a track record of shipping great games, and I don't mean, you know, you worked at Ubisoft and you were 
uh, an environment artist on Assassin's Creed. Like, I mean, you've shipped <laughs> indie games, right? So if you've got a track record, you've got a team, we've shipped two or three games together, the games are good. I don't need to see that much, right? And 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 if it's somebody I've got a relationship with, um, I'll look at a paper pitch, you know, where it's just a slide deck and maybe it's a ripomatic type video. Um, if you're coming into it cold and you're pitching a publisher you've never met and or you don't have a track record of shipping great games, then you, I think you should expect to have to bring a prototype because if you're pitching me, if I don't know you and I can't look at, at your, your back catalog and go, okay, this guy, this guy knows what he's doing, I want to play it. And I want to prove that it's fun before I sign it. That doesn't mean I, I, I'm not happy to see a paper pitch. You know, we'll look at a paper pitch from, from anybody, but uh, we definitely won't put ink on paper until we've played it, if, if it's not somebody with a good track record. Yeah, and so we actually had this come up in, in the Discord this week. Hold on, let me flip up here real quick and find it. Um, someone was asking what stage you know they should they should be going and then, so we answered it that's the beauty for those of you who aren't on our our discord server we've got like nearly two thousand <laughs> industry professionals on there everybody from you know developers just coming out of school to you know, reps from nintendo and and microsoft mm. and all those folks and so i'll pose it's going to be a long question i'll go ahead and tell you but anyway um he asked, you know, I'm interested in approaching publishers and investors to fund the game I'm developing as a solo dev. The funds would be to build a small team and complete the game and support it with continued development after release. I've come up with a plan with the main things I need to do to be ready to pitch. You know, this is one, get the game designed, two, proof of concept, tech demo, trailer. That's what they're working on right now. Three would be gameplay, mock-up screenshots, fours, production and timeline budget estimates that sort of stuff yeah. um, then pitch deck slide presentation game mock-up trailer game prototype demo vertical slice demo so he says ideally i should start pitching to publishers as early as the pitch deck slide presentation but definitely by the prototype demo and the vertical demo is that plan accurate right now and I'll tell you what happened later, but I'm, hmm. I'm, I'm going to let you go out on that. <laughs> how's, the, how's that limb feeling, Jay? Um, I think, so that sounds like a lot. That sounds like a lot of stuff. Um, that sounds like a lot of work. Um, I'll, I can, I'm going to give it easier for you. I'll drop it in our Discord chat that we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drop, drop that in there so there I can kind of eyeball it on my second screen over here. Um, I think... What's 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 interesting to me is that um, about that problem, right? If you've got somebody in your corner who's kind of cheerleading for you, an industry person, um, a biz dev person, right? Uh, you probably don't need that all of that stuff. Like, like that's going to be a big doorstop of materials, really. Um, if you've got a prototype, if you, uh, so I'm assuming that this guy's coming in cold and it's his first game. And so he's a solo dev that wants to build a team. 
So to the the thing that I that that helps you understand how I think about this stuff and how I think a lot of my peers think about this stuff is I am looking at everything first. Is it a cool game? And and, and I, I can break I can I can dive into that a little deeper about what what I think a cool game is. But the second thing is how big is the risk, right? Because every publisher is looking to make the best return. They want to make cool, interesting games that fit their brand and fit their portfolio strategy, but they also want to minimize their risk. And so to me, the, the things that, that make the hairs on the back of my neck stand up are, okay, solo dev wants to build a team from scratch around the game and then build the team and then build the game. Whew, and then, and, I, and I'm funding all of that, presumably, right, as the publisher. So I think it's, gonna, it's an expensive project with an unproven team that, they, that this fellow has just assembled. Um, that, sounds, that sounds pretty risky to me. So that, so that doesn't mean that that's a non-starter, but it does mean that that gameplay prototype or that vertical slice, it's going to have to, it's going to have to set my world on fire. Right. Um, because that, that to me is, is the first big risk because Remember, remember who you're up against when you are pitching games to indie publishers. You're up against established teams making their second, third, fourth, fifth games, right? Those guys are a comparatively small risk and a comparatively known quantity. I know what they're capable of delivering. Um, I can see it. I can just look at the stuff they've shipped before and I know, I know what they can do. If you're a Solo dev building a team from scratch. I would say above all else, make sure that vertical slice sings. Make sure you've got something interesting and make sure if it doesn't look the way you want the final game to look, make sure that pitch deck shows me some concept art and some some kind of benchmarks of what the game's going to look like so I can visualize it and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, really, uh, that, it, it, it's a great question because it kind of helps helps us illustrate kind of that that key consideration of what's what's the risk to the publisher here? What's the risk that I'm going to lay out half a million bucks and not get any of it back? So, and that's one of the things that we talk about a lot is how, you know, at the end of the day, publishers make decisions. One, those of us who, who do this because we love games, Mm. we are going to make decisions based on, okay, do we actually enjoy playing this? But yeah. two, it is a major exercise in, in risk aversion. Yes. And that question is, is something that comes up quite a bit. And, you know, we've got a, a team that I know that I believe heavily in and they're probably listening right now. So I'm not going to completely call uh -oh. you out, John. Uh -oh. I want you to hear... <laughs> From from Fernando here, I mean they they're going into a genre that they are extremely passionate about, but it is also a very competitive genre, and their yeah. initial budget is, is almost two million dollars. And but the you know first game, all yeah. the same stuff, and so you know that's what we tell them a lot. It's like you know you just have to realize 
he's, they're like, what well, is our budget too big? And I'm just like, your budget is what your budget is. That's yeah. If, if you planned it correctly, you're not going to get a better situation by saying, oh, okay, we're going to take a $2 million and turn it $2 million project and turn it into a $650,000 project because that's not going to, that's not going to fly, but it's, it's no. a matter of how do you lessen that risk to the publisher? Yep. 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 Absolutely. Right. I mean, the, the other side of the coin to that, right? Because I just sort of laid out quite a pessimistic case for why. I, I, it, I refer it, to right. it as cynical, not, not. <laughs> <laughs> cynical. Yeah, it's, it's cynical, right? But it's it's also, um, you know, no publisher is going to do great. And And going back to what we were talking about before, right? There were... 220 new games on Steam last week. Last week. Last week. 220 new games on Steam. So if you want to break out, even if you're the best publisher in the world with the best marketing operation in the world, and by the way, our marketing operation is great, but even if you're the best <laughs> publisher in the world, <laughs> right, that's obviously us, um, you, need, you need to have an interesting game. You need to have an unusual game, right? You need to have something about the game that jumps out and grabs people. Um and so, and that does mean taking risks, right? Like, uh, there's games in our portfolio that are genre combinations I had never played before and had never even seen or heard of before. And those are the kinds of things that make the hairs on publishers' necks stand up, because a lot of I'm Jay, you know this as well as anybody. A lot of publishers aren't games people, right? They're money people. And they don't actually understand games or even play them or like them. But even the publishers that do play games and like games, you know, outfits like us and Raw Fury and, and No More Robots and stuff, we get we get scared when we see a fresh genre combination because a lot of the way that the 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 way that me and my team kind of try to understand, we make sales projections and try to understand our risk is okay, let's look at other stuff in this category and try to understand, does this game, you know, does this game compare favorably with the category leaders? Does this game do something that solves a problem posed by some of the category leaders, right? That's, that fixes something that they don't do. Um, when you've got a totally fresh genre combination, there's no trail, right? There's no category leaders to compare it to. But those are also the games that can absolutely blow up right like uh I'm, I'm i'm going out on a limb here because i haven't actually done my homework but you know you've got your among us background there have been werewolf type social games on steam for years yeah and i and i don't think any of them have ever been a proper breakout hit before and among us is actually a great case study because the game came out two years ago and it didn't blow up until now but even if it was a brand new game that was just released last week right I promise you there are a bunch of publishers right now looking for werewolf game pitches because they want to do a fast follow on Among Us. And one of those will work, right? The rest of them won't. <laughs> but, yeah. Among Us is, is one of those things that, to an indie developer, it, it's both glorious and dreadful. Yeah. Because on one hand... From the business side, you know, I tell people consistently, look, if you launch and it doesn't take, 
don't sit and slam your face against the wall and try to make it take you know yep. be iterative yep. put out something else and now we've got a game that's you know two three years oh, old yeah. has all of a sudden exploded into god knows what and it's well, like, and, and, oh, wow. and sometimes the big hit is the game that breaks all of those rules right yeah like the, the one the one that i still beat my head into the wall about is play game right like Plague Inc. is probably, by some metrics, probably the most popular game of all time, right? Like, fi find me a phone that hasn't had Plague Inc. installed on it. And the PC version, which was which was excellent, also sold really well. Okay, wait a second. I'm completely, what, what, I've never heard of this. Oh, you never heard of Plague Inc.? Oh, my God, bro. So, Play, Plague Inc. is... Uh, it is a game where you're a virus or a bacteria, and you get DNA points every once in a while to evolve your virus, and your goal is to wipe out humanity. Infect the world and kill them. It's so... Uh, wait, wait, give me, spell the name. Play what? Uh, plague. P-L-A-G-E-A-G-E-A-G-E-A-G-E-A-G-E-A-G-E-A-G-E-A-G-E-A-G-E-A-G-E-A-G-E-A-G-E-A-G-E-A-G-E-A-G-E-A-G-E-
right, with with somebody I've known in the industry for years who has a reliable track record of delivering great stuff and talking to that person about building a team for a game. And I know the people that he's talking to, uh, some of them personally, some of them by reputation. I, I've got confidence in that team, right? It just to, um, if you're building the team, you've got to give me confidence in the team, right? And it's, if that's part of your pitch, and, and part of the pitch is, hey, listen, we don't have the team yet, but here's who we're going to hire, and here's why you should sit up and pay attention right now, and here's why these people are great, right? Yeah. Nothing is impossible, and, and there is very, very little, very little that is like an absolute, you know, landmine in a pitch for me. There are... There are you know, every pitch is different. Every team is different. Every game is different. Sometimes we will take risks and take bets in some cases where we wouldn't others. So, yeah, um, you know, it's not a deal breaker if you don't have the team, but you got you got to make me believe. You got to make me believe in, in, in what you're doing and how you're going to get that team together if, if you don't have it already. All right. So, now to John's question, you know, investing in mm. the team, investing in the game. What's so – the, the, the game, unless you're unless you're Sid Meier, uh, or you know Justin Ma, I'm investing in the game first, right? And and the thing, the thing that gets me to sit up and notice is the game, right? And if I fall deeply in love with the game concept, that makes me capable of forgiving lots of other problems, right? Or helping you solve those problems. Because that, that, that's the other thing, right? I, I don't know a single publisher, and, and, and publishers all talk and publishers all more or less know each other. I don't know a single publisher that isn't capable or willing or ready to, to reach across the table and go, listen, I'm going to help you shore this thing up, right? And, and a lot of times I'm going to help you shore this thing up, and then I'm going to go send you on to somebody else because maybe it's not the right pitch for me, but – Hey, maybe it's perfect for a regular corp, or maybe it's perfect for Raw Fury. I'll, I'll, I'll talk, introduce you to those guys, right? But it's, it's yeah, it's the game first. Like that. Uh, what's that, Jay? Not all publishers are like that, though. You're not right. all, no, that's true. Not all publishers are like that, but a lot of them are. A lot of them are. It, it's almost like high school. You all run in little clicks. <laughs> it's it is a bit like high school, but it's good high school. It's not it's, it's not yeah, the bad part of high school. And Johan and Callum, you know, if I know all of y'all, and I don't know how much of that is we're all indie publishers versus how we're all in London, you know. But it's yeah, no, no. I mean, it really is we're all indie publishers because you know we we don't get to hang out physically anymore. Yeah, sure. That ain't it. But no, I mean to, to go back to John's question because John's asking a good question. Um, yeah, it's the game. It's the, 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 the game is the thing, right? And the, the team, I need to have confidence in the team. I need to have faith in the team, but the, the game is the thing that's going to make me sit up and pay attention if it's a great concept and, and if it gets me excited. Uh, going back to what you were talking about earlier with the, um, mm. the, the genres and how you do need, I mean, to get somebody's attention, you, you can't just go in and say, we're going to make a werewolf game now. Because right, right. that's among us, and quite frankly, that's about two dozen other games that that haven't caught on. But if yep. you go, 
I'm going to make a werewolf game that has battle royale in it. Oh, okay, that's that's different. I yep. literally got up this morning and had a play test with a developer that we're talking to, and one of the first things I told them was, "Okay, in 20 years, I can honestly say that this is not a genre combination that I have ever seen come across." Oh, oh is that right? You get to send Seriously. me that one. <laughs> <laughs> I get them to sign with us, I will. The, uh, <laughs> the thing is, it's okay. absolutely, it is one of those. And, and the reason I was sitting there grinning like a jackass the whole time you were answering that question is because you're basically saying all of the same stuff that, that I say a lot of times. And it's like, okay, that's great that you've created this genre combination that no one's ever done before, but that's also a really bad thing because yeah. the publisher can't run a PL on it, you know? And so no. it's, it's, and, and you also got to work harder to prove that it's fun, right? I, like, I can say that they did because I played it for like an hour and a half with them. So, um, Oh shit. Okay. Yeah, definitely send me that one. <laughs> whether they work with a power group or not, I'll, I will introduce you. Because <laughs> it, is, it is very cool. Indie game business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all those speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. We got another question here from, from Facebook. Philippe says, what needs to be in the game prototype to be convincing mm -hmm. enough to earn your publisher support? And this gets into the whole, okay, give us a vertical slice. Well, what the hell is a vertical slice? Because yeah. different games have different vertical slices. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I, that's a great question. Um, you got to prove the fun. You got to prove the fun. It doesn't have to be pretty. Doesn't have to be. It doesn't even have to look like a game, right? Uh, it's just got to prove the fun. And I can sit here and say, "Hey, listen, buddy. I was a game developer. I've worked at game studios. I know what prototypes look like. It doesn't need to be pretty." I know that on a subconscious level, that if somebody sends me a pretty prototype, I know, right? I look at that and go, oh, wow, right? Like, it's, I'm only human, and it's impossible for me to not be affected by that. But, but I, I can genuinely tell you, I have signed ugly prototypes to publishing. <laughs> because if an ugly prototype is fun, and, and I can find the fun, and, and it clicks for me, and it fits my strategy, fits my my portfolio strategy, and it uh, and it's fun. That that is enough, right? I mean, I, the the thing you got to ask yourself is, what's my what's my game about? What's my what makes my game different, right? Don't waste a second on stuff that doesn't make your game stand out, right? Like if you've got if you've got a dialogue system, but it's like barely a game pillar and it's just there for window dressing don't waste any time on that right just tell me hey listen here's the game prototype it's got all the combat in it there's going to be a dialogue system it's not in there yet but we'll tell you right if you give me that 
and this thing is fun and I can feel the fun and I can feel what makes it different. And you give me a deck that shows me, here's a bunch of concept art for what we want it to look like. Here's a SoundCloud track from the guy we want to hire to do the music, right? That'll do it. That'll do it. That'll that'll get me to get my pen out and, and call my lawyer and, and figure out how to slot you in. Uh, it it's just got to be fun, and I, and I know in a weird way that's kind of a non-answer because the next question would just be like, "What's fun?" Like I don't fucking know. <laughs> that's the I do. way, and I I will put an asterisk beside you know this for all of our our listeners out there. Don't listen to him. It does have to be pretty. At the end of the day. <laughs> I mean, look, I've I, heard I, that shit. Be, be pretty helps. Be pretty helps. Absolutely. It's like, it I guarantee you, if you get two games in that are very similar and one of them looks like a paper prototype and the other one is actually pretty, you're going to go with the one that is pretty. That's the. Uh, you know, I, I choose to believe that I wouldn't. But I do. I suspect that you might be correct, Jack. <laughs> the of the sheer number of games that have, yeah. you know, come out. It's like I've got. This is going to be fun for me this afternoon. I'm actually being interviewed after after this call, and one of the questions they sent over was, you know, how was the the pandemic affected mm. indie developers? And mm. early on, you know, there was some article somebody wrote. It was about like how. You know, with packs going away, packs east at the time going away, it was yeah. just going to be a death blow for indie developers. I'm like, no, the hell, it's not. It's no, like, you know, no. I know I'm biased because we've been doing digital events now for two years. Oh yeah, and no one seemed to give a shit last year, and now everyone <laughs> is doing one. Well, look at look at the Steam Game Festivals. Yeah, there's more games in the Fall Festival than there were in the summer one. Yep, it's a soup. We so, got three I, games in there, and we're up against three thousand other ones. We got another um, question, but before we get to that, I'll, you know, I want to ask you because we see this. Yeah. How effective is a you know event like that when there's hundreds or thousands of demos on there? You're, it's not. You're not being highlighted. Well, so this is. And now, now the barber is about to tell you you need a haircut. This is the value of having a publisher, right? Uh, because so we got three games in the fall festival. So we, we had a couple of games back in the uh, in the summer festival too, uh, the Steam Summer Festival, and we had games at Gamescom, the whole bit. Just being in the festival means bupkis, right? Just being in the festival means that you've got maybe a chance of being noticed between one of the other 2000 games in the festival being in the festival and having doing a PR campaign and buying media uh, on Reddit and Twitter and Facebook, driving people to the demo, right? Being in the festival is like one leg of a robust marketing campaign. And if you're, if you're capable of doing that yourself, good on you. You don't need a publisher, right? Amen. You, like you, 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 if you've got the bandwidth and, and the multitasking skills to do that, do it, right? But that is the value really of having a publisher because your publisher is going to have a dedicated marketing team whose whole job is to say, we're going to be in the festival and we're going to drive people to the festival demo with all of these other tactics, right? So uh, that... 
So, so to actually, actually answer your question, Jay, so the, so the digital events this year have been pretty effective. And I would say that just in terms of us looking at what our wish list numbers and what our, what our sales spikes look like, they have performed broadly similar to how physical events did. Maybe not quite as good, but close. Um, but that's also because we have treated every digital event we've gone to as one leg of kind of a, a full marketing beat, right? So uh, it's festivals are good, but they're not like a digital event is good, but it is not in itself sufficient uh, to promote a new IP game. Well, I mean, in, uh, Lisa from Facebook just said, you know, an event like the Steam Game Festival is effective only if you built something in the past. Oh, you know, Lisa Farinetti. I, so, uh, she, 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 she makes uh, uh, a wonderful winemaking game uh, that I'm very fond of. I met her at Gamescom last year. Sorry, I'm digressing. But, Hi, but, but no, I mean, and this is something that I mean, you're dead right. I mean, and this is a, a point that we constantly bring up to developers. It's like you have to start your marketing and building your community at day one, the minute you have a screenshot. You know, and, and this is why, you know, it's, well, it's one and, of the things that you have to be ready to push people to somewhere. Yeah. Well, and, th and that is actually where that is where things are getting complex, too, because I don't know why my screen is so blurry. Sorry, Jay. You've got autofocus set up on your camera. I guess I, I guess I Indy, Indy's here now. Um, and, and so he could have told you that I can't tell you how to fix it. This, oh, you yeah. probably have a Logitech camera and it's, I do have a Logitech camera. There's a little thing in the, the setting thing that you have to go to and, and, and fix it. All um, right. I'll figure, I'll figure that out. Um, but yeah, no, um, yeah, we have, a we, we could do a whole two hour, 20 hour thing about marketing. Uh, Sometimes it's complex. You your camera with your hand. Just put your hand right up close to it. It'll autofocus on it. Oh, I think that works. It, it does until you take your hand away, and, and then yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You've got a really high resolution picture of my hand. <laughs> That's good. Oh, so. We've got a lot of good questions here, and I don't want to miss them. Yeah, yeah, um, no, let's let's. I, I'm going to stop babbling. And, and, and no, all right. So one of the things that I'm going to get you to commit to before this is over is doing a panel at our show in in December on this sort of stuff because it is important. Um, sure. So yeah, what? Sign, sign me up. Nightwolf says, "What's your opinion of how Fall Guys fell when Among Us overtook it? Is Fall Guys luck based gameplay and hitbox bugs versus Among Us skill based gameplay?" The price tags, cosmetics, the fun. What this hmm. is like? The, this is the billion dollar question. Why is one boy going higher than the other right now? Yeah, um, I, I, I think, I think we might have a little correlation without causality there. I think, I think Among Us doing well is not necessarily a reason that Fall Guys kind of cooled off a bit. I mean, first off. Fall Guys is doing fine, right? Like, uh, Fall Guys hit an extraordinary height when it launched, which is, which is fantastic. And all credit uh, to Mediatonic, who did an amazing... Uh, first off, the game's great. 
uh, it's incredibly polished. It's 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 really fun. It, it's very unique. Uh, they also did a hell of a marketing campaign. Hell of a marketing campaign. Great social media. Um, and they had an incredible high, and they're not at that high anymore. No game stays there that forever, right? Like uh, so. Uh, the the idea that Among Us has somehow stolen audience from Fall Guys, maybe it has, but I also think that Among Us, I suspect that Among Us has actually brought people into the hobby. And I think Fall Guys probably did too. I, I, I think there's probably a significant proportion of folks playing both of those games who it's their first game. Um, especially among us, because you know it's it's free on mobile. Uh, there's no barrier to entry on mobile, and I mean, I played. We we play Among Us at Modern Wolf <laughs> a lot, uh, and I played it with a bunch of my friends, a bunch of my non-industry friends, many of whom do not play games, do not play games for fun, or at least not video games, and um, a lot of them got into it because we were all playing it. So I think there's a, I think there's a big network effect. Uh, that is part of the success of those games. But also, um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I do wonder if Fall Guys has PUBG-level staying power just because the game is rather simple and um, there isn't a huge amount of depth. But I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. I, I think it... I think it, it's a game that people are going to dip into and dip out of a lot, and I think there's going to be a healthy player base for it for a long time. So the game's doing great, and I don't necessarily ascribe its decline, if you want to call it that, to Among Us. I mean, it's in, in some ways, because they're getting ready to start Season 2, mm. you see the same trend in Fortnite or any game that has a season. Yeah. Toward yeah. the end of it, people start falling off. This goes back to World of Warcraft. Yeah, it's like you know, once you play it for months, you get like a little eh, and then when they drop a new season, all of a sudden there's new shit to do, and you, you jump in and you go with it at that point. Uh, so I think that has a, a bit of it too, but I mean, it, yeah. not take away, I mean, it is a fun game, and but there is a lot, there's not like there's a meta in, in Fall Guys. It's no. like, okay, did you get on the damn seesaw at the right time? Or, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're going to be in a perpetual loop of falling to your death. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, but I think part of it too is, yeah, there's always new stuff, but we see this, you know, influx. I mean, we've seen it with the quote unquote casual players on Switch. It's like yeah. my wife, you know, yeah. COVID hit, Animal Crossing came out. Nintendo sold a shit ton of units, and those shit people ton. are looking for something new, you know, to play. And 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 I think and you're right, right? Like Fall Guys, are, it doesn't have meta. Uh, it's it's not it's not a game that rewards a lot of thinking and strategizing the way Fortnite, PUBG do. But I wonder if that's not, in some way, a point in its favor, right? It like, is. Because if I, if I was going to get back into Fortnite today, and I haven't played Fortnite in a year plus, if I was going to get back into Fortnite today, I have, or, or, or better yet, if I was going to get back into Hearthstone today, I have no idea what the meta is. I have no idea what the OP cards are right now, what the OP decks are right now. No clue, because I've been out of the game for a year plus, right? 
If I got in right now, I would get my ass handed to me, and I probably wouldn't have a great experience. I promise you that if you get into Fall Guys in six months, having not touched it, it'll still be Fall Guys, right? Yeah. So I I, I think that might help it. That that might help it stick around. It's going to be a with Fall Guys. It's going to be a matter of if they can keep it varied and interesting enough. Yes. Because. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are, are cosmetics are, are the cosmetics going to be enough for that? I wonder. I don't know. Oh yeah, I don't think so. I think it's it's going to be different stages. You know, there's yeah. going to have to be, yeah. you know, variation on that side that you know the players can see. I mean, I know from from me playing it. You know, it's like I played it and played it. I still haven't got a damn crown, but I also no. know I that I could log in this afternoon and get a crown. You know, it's it's yes. it is that simple. Um, Here's a good question right here. From uh, Jack Snow, would they be able to market a rank ladder or pro play? I don't think as much bitching as you see Fortnite players do on and Hearthstone is even worse. Oh, Anything God. that's got random number generation or, or randomness to it, where they can't, you know, focus on a meta or strategy, yes. that it hinders pro play. I mean, I played a lot of Overwatch. I haven't played that in like a year. But I was really damn good with Moira. Mm. But you, you can't get any respect for it because everybody's like, well, you're bouncing <laughs> orbs down a hallway. And I'm like, yes, I am. But I'm bouncing <laughs> when they need to be bounced. You know, it's so, I mean, I think having, I mean, and I'll let you chime in on this too, Fernando, but in my opinion, having random based or luck based games is not conducive to a, a long term pro strategy. No, no, I, th I think you nailed it, Jay. I mean, the the I think the the best. There are no like, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get way out over my skis here, <laughs> but like, there are no professional ninja warrior people, right? Nope, nobody becomes a pro ninja warrior person because it's too chaotic. It's too it's too too luck based, and, and um, yeah, I. I it, I don't think ranked would work because I don't think, I don't think you can reliably be good at the game. And maybe that's just old man sour grapes because I suck <laughs> at it. But yeah, like and, and that again, I don't think that's necessarily a knock on the game. I don't think that's necessarily a knock on its viability as a commercial product and and, and, and having staying power. But yeah, ranked. I don't think ranked is it. All right, so I will throw out the the devil's advocate on that. It All doesn't right. have a well. I guess it does have a bit of a rank, but you know, a game that we have seen on a professional level for I mean, decades at this point, which has a large RNG aspect to it, uh -oh. Mario Kart. <laughs> yeah, that's well. I I I don't know. I think Mario Kart has a skill ceiling. It does, but some asshole can always hit you with a blue shell. Right? I mean, we had. Fights break out in college. Now, oh, granted, yeah. this was like the N64 version. Honest to God, fights great, in, great in you know a dorm room great, great because version. somebody blue shelled somebody <laughs> right at the start finish line. And yeah, no, it was it, it is it's not a game that Americans are ever going to love because it it, 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 <laughs> it it's you know it, it doesn't jive with our sense of, uh, of 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 competition. I think because it's too it has all those levelers in it. Yeah, yeah, I I um. Shit, don't get me started on Mario Kart. I can talk for a while about that. We should probably answer some 
question. Right, so we, we got a question that, that we missed. It was up in here. So Nightwolf on, on Twitch asked, what would a publisher prefer, a game prototype or a game in early access with streamers? Oh, I would prefer. I mean, this, you know, I've given a lot of equivocal answers tonight and I've done a lot of, oh, maybe this, maybe that. Here is a ice cold answer. I want a game prototype. Uh, really? I, thought, I mean, yes. I would 100% thought you were going in the other direction with that. Nope. No, no, no. Because, and, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly why. I'll tell you exactly why. Um, I, wa I want your secret unannounced game above all else. Because if your game hasn't been announced, if there's no Steam page, if there's no evidence of its existence on itch.io, and it is a complete secret, you have just handed me a marketing cannonball that I can use, or even better, that one of our platform partners can use, right? I can go to Xbox or PlayStation, and I could say, hey, I've got a completely secret game, and you can announce this motherfucker on Inside Xbox, right? You can announce this thing at the Game Awards with Jeff Keighley, right? Uh, maybe that, like, that is the kind of thing that they want to do. That is the kind of thing that, that they want to do, and, and, and we'll get them excited about it. And having a game, as a publisher, having a game that a big platform partner is excited about is gold to me, right? So, yeah. So I, I, I get it. I get why, you know, you can make a business case, right? Like, hey, Fernando, look, I've got a Steam page. I've got 10,000 wish lists. I've got all these people streaming it. But if you've got a sweet pitch and it is top secret, man, that's good. I really want that. You're not making my life easier. Over here. Sorry, Jay. <laughs> Sorry, Jay. Well, but, but, I mean, but, 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 but Jay, the game is changing all the time. That's the other thing, right? Like, this is not the answer I would have given a year ago, or maybe even nine months ago. Game, and, game is changing. And that's it. it yeah. It's a constant evolution. And, and, and truthfully, we see in the publishers that we deal with about a 50-50 split. Yep. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and other, uh, different publishers for me are going to have a different perspective on that. But for me, yeah, I want your secret game. <laughs> I want the that, game nobody knows I'm, about yet. I'm glad because it's like you, most of the folks that are on here that we've had on here are like, oh, no, 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 no. We want the pre-built community. You know, that's the. Uh, but, oh, sure. But well, but I'm also. I build communities. And I'm, I'm bullish on my ability to 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 build an audience, and and uh, I want I want the surprise. I want the surprise, and I can, I can see why somebody would want a pre-built community because it mitigates your risk, right? But all right, folks, you, you heard it here live. Fernando yep. said publishers that you know want games with wish list on the how to market games. There we go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, oh shit! Oh shit! Turtle Grounds has a follow-up question right here. How do you reconcile that with all the advice indies get to start marketing and building a following from day one? Yeah. So I, I will reconcile that by telling you that the game changes fast. And some of the stuff. So if we were having, if we were, if we were having this conversation a year ago, a lot of my answers would have been different because and if we were having this conversation three years ago, a lot of my answers would have been different. Um, I think there is a lot of value 
in announcing a game, throwing up a Steam page as soon as you've got nice looking screenshots and a nice looking video and starting to gather wish lists. There is value in that. No question about it. If you do that, you are, like we just talked about, you are expending the, the very valuable marketing event of the reveal of your game, right? And you are doing the reveal of your game yourself. And maybe you're a great marketer. No judgments. Maybe you are. But you're, you're effectively taking that out of my hands, right? Maybe I could have done a better job with the reveal. Maybe we're both taking it out of Sony's hands or Stadia's hands, right? Or some other partner, Amazon Luna's hands, right? Amazon Luna is probably desperate for stuff exclusives to announce right now. I wouldn't know or couldn't say. Um, so, you know, the uh, there's value in doing that. And I'm not saying that it is an ironclad mistake to start marketing now. What I am saying, though, is that one of the th- one of the most interesting things uh, that I've been getting out of Simon Carlos's newsletter, and Simon Carlos has a, a great newsletter that I, this is my second newsletter recommendation of the evening. But uh, Simon Carlos has a great newsletter <coughs> called Game Discoverability uh, that I highly recommend to you. Simon Carlos is one I'll, of the founders of GDC. Yeah, yeah, please. So one of the things Simon has been talking about is uh, looking at data from publishers like No More Robots and saying what's interesting about wish list conversions lately on Steam is that older wish lists convert at a much lower rate than newer wish lists. And one of the things you might have noticed if if you're somebody who obsessively watches uh, the indie game space, like I'm sure we all are given that we are where we are, one of the things you might have noticed in the past year is that launch campaigns are getting really short. Uh, launch campaigns used to be, well, the, 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 old, the old standard practice used to be announce your game, hype it up for a year, two years, launch the game when it's ready. One of the things that I've been seeing a lot of this year is announce the game, launch the game two weeks later. Announce the game, launch the game a month later. Campaigns are getting shorter, and I think campaigns are getting shorter because of the competitive nature of the space, uh, like we've been talking about. 220 games on Steam last week, right? Um, I get emails from Steam. This game you've wishlisted is now on sale. And I look at the game in the email, and I go, what the fuck is this? I don't remember wishlisting that, right? Because I, I wishlisted the exact same years thing. Ago. It's like, yeah. I don't even remember when I wishlisted this. <laughs> right. So I think... Pardon me. I think because of all of those factors, uh, things that were incredibly good advice even six months ago might be worth rethinking some of that stuff. Because I, I, I wonder, I wonder what the average consumer's capacity for remembering in development indie games is these days. And I, and some of these announce and launch two-week gap things. Now, and, and now the challenge, and again, here's the barber is telling you you need a haircut again. The, if, you, if, if your takeaway from me saying this is, ah, okay, Rizzo says, I'm going to announce my indie game myself, and then I'm going to launch it myself two weeks later, that is not what I'm saying. <laughs> right? 
Because to successfully do a two-week campaign, you need to spend a lot of fucking money. You need to have good PR agencies in every territory. You need to have good influencer agencies in every territory. You need paid media. You need social ads. You need trailers. Like you bit what you bit like. Uh, I mean, a great example I, I would show you right now is uh, the solitary conspiracy. So Bithel and company announced that two weeks ago. And they said, this game's coming in two weeks. And they proceeded to wallpaper the internet with PR coverage about the game for two weeks, right? Um, even the big boys are doing it, right? When, when did EA announce Star Wars Squadrons? Like, oh, March? Wasn't that long ago. Uh -uh. Like, that, that was, like, less than a six-month campaign. So, yeah. So, I, I, I think... <laughs> I've been talking that for 100 years. But I, I think my basic hypothesis here is there are now so many games for sale, so many good games for sale, that the average consumer, even the obsessed consumer like us, can't remember them all. And asking consumers to remember your game, even with, with external aids like Steam wishlists and whatnot, is a big ask. And so the move is going to be towards shorter campaigns, shorter time between reveal and launch and that's going to mean marketing is more expensive that's, which is that's ironic information really i mean it totally makes sense and justin french um he's on linkedin what's up justin oh hello justin what about the process for free-to-play titles in comparison to premium and we got another question talking about the pandemic but i'll ask that after this Okay. Hi, Justin. Justin's working on an awesome game called Neuroslicers, by the way, which you should all go wish list on Steam. Justin's one uh, of the people that we refer people to when they're like, what should I start doing about a community? I'm like, go read Justin's blog. I go mean, holy Justin. shit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why Justin's asking me a question. I don't think I have anything to say <laughs> Justin French. He's smarter than I am. Um, what about the process for free-to-play titles in comparison to premium? I... I do like getting out over my skis, but I'm not going to do that. I've, I've never, I've never really sold a free-to-play game. I worked on one free-to-play game, uh, but I was the guy that killed it. <laughs> I was, I worked on Dirty Bomb. I was the brand manager on Dirty Bomb for the last nine months of its life, and my job was to very graciously execute it because it was at the end of its existence. So if you want to know how to kill a free-to-play game, you should ask me. If you want to know how to sell one, I'm not, I'm not your guy. Well, sometimes it's better to know how not to do something than how to do something. Yeah. Before you well, or, or how to kill something well. I think, I think we did a good job uh, sunsetting, I believe, is the use so, is that what Is that what we're using now? Because that, that's what I've just was. been a constantly accused of killing people that their babies are ugly. So... Uh, <laughs> you know, that's funny. Well, let me ask this uh, pandemic question. Let me find it. It's right up here. How do you think this is from uh, from Nick on Facebook? Oh, yeah. How do you think the end of the pandemic will affect the gaming industry? Oh man, that's that's Yama from from uh, from Exola. Hey Yama, how you doing, buddy? Um, how do you think the pandemic will affect the end of the games industry? I mean, I'll I'll tell you what I would love to happen. I would love for there to be. Uh, a vaccine that works and I would love for that vaccine I would love for that vaccine to be put into the public domain and for the intellectual property rights of that vaccine to be given to all the vaccine makers in the world and for it to be freely available to everybody on the planet uh, that's adorable and, that's uh, yeah, no, yeah no, I mean that's what I want to happen 
But I think you read the I question. I don't think that's going to happen. Oh, I think you read the question backwards. How do you think the end of the pan the end of the pandemic will affect the gaming industry? Oh, oh, oh. I think it's awesome that you think there's going to be an end to the pandemic. Yeah. So. I mean, I I'll, I'll tell you what. I mean, if we were if we were talking back in July, back in July I was like, "Oh, there'll probably be events next year. There'll probably be physical events next year." I don't think there's going to be physical events next year. And I, I wonder how long it's going to be before physical events are back. I, 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 I would love for them to happen in 2022. I, I, I think they probably will, um, based on nothing, because I'm not a fucking epidemiologist. But I'm not um, talking about Fernando. The president said we're going to have like a, a vaccine next week. So, oh yeah, and let me tell you, if there's one guy you should trust, it's the fucking president. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I mean, no, I mean I, where we're at, it's freaking blowing up. There was a, a McDonald's that's right down the road for me, and they said there was 22 cases that they discovered. Holy shit. Wow. I mean, Oregon is Oregon is now it's just in it's insane here. It went from oh just a couple God. cases a day to now a bunch. So yeah. No, I, I I mean it's it's it seems like it's bad everywhere. Even the countries that have their shit together, it seems like it's coming back. I don't know. Um yeah, I I, I I think, and I don't want to be ghoulish, but I think the pandemic was probably, if you had games on Steam already when the pandemic came out, I think you did all right. I, th I think game sales went up, and I, I think anecdotally talking to other folks, I think a lot of folks saw a reasonable increase in sales, and, and some folks I know saw very significant increases in sales. So I think if you already had games up on Steam or, or on, on other platforms, when the pandemic, when lockdown started, I think you did well. And, and I think at the risk of tempting the wrath of Zeus, I think the pandemic on the whole is probably good for the games industry. Well, I think it has uh, to. As sad as that is to say, I agree. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I think sales are probably up. I think there's probably new people in the hobby that weren't there a year ago. Um, our jobs are relatively straightforward to do remotely. Um Guys like me who are used to getting on a plane every month and, and going to an industry event are sad that the industry events are gone because I liked, you know, I liked getting on planes. And well, I mean, you know, I, 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 I like go going ahead. as well. But I mean, to be blunt, the entire reason this show exists is because back in 2017, I was like, I got on too many damn airplanes and I don't want to do it. No. Well, I, I was I was slowly getting there myself. Right. But. I, I also think that is a net positive for the industry because not everybody can afford to get on a plane and go do a physical face-to-face -face pitch at Gamescom. And I think it's probably democratizing that these events are happening digitally. And, you know, I saw – I went to went to Digital Dragons uh, a couple of weeks ago and saw pitches from folks who I probably would never have seen their pitch if Digital Dragons had been physical. So I think that's good. I mean, I, I, I think I think if we can get away from the self-pity, <laughs> I miss events and I miss human contact uh, aspect of things, I think the pandemic is probably a net positive for the games business. And <clears throat> that's I don't say that to minimize the, you know, the incredible number of deaths and the enormous amount of suffering and the friction that's been injected into the economy, all of that fucking sucks. And I don't think anybody would choose that. But in, in yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right, John. I mean, um, you know, the pandemic is awful, but we are lucky to be in this business because 
we've come off better than most. And if we were in the musical theater business, this would be a very different podcast. So, well, well I mean, there would, be more, there would be more singing if this was a musical yeah. theater. Oh, podcast. I think worked at a theme park, and yeah, um, that that's, no. that's been gone, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, we're lucky, man. We're lucky, and 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 uh, we can we, we we can keep working. And I don't take that for granted ever, personally. Well, I'm answering a question. Oh, <laughs> so uh, Nightwolf had another one though. Uh, for devs who made games before this, this announce them released quickly sounds doable. But what about the first time game publish slash pitch devs? If this is their first game, would they be able? Aren't they going to be heavily reliant on the publisher, and are they incapable of self-publishing? So I don't. Jay, have you ever told the story about? The B seventeen armor study on this show. I don't even know what that is. Okay, so it's a story about survivorship bias. So the Air Force, the Army Air Force at the time, back in World War II, uh, they wanted they wanted to improve the survivability of B 17s So, uh, or maybe it was B twenty fours. I don't know. Bombers, but World War II bombers, right? They wanted to improve big the slow airplanes that are big targets. Big slow airplanes are big targets, right? So <clears throat> they started looking at planes that came back and they said, okay, there's battle damage here, there's battle damage here, there's battle damage here. Let's start putting armor in those areas because those are the areas where the planes get shot. So the Army Air Force put out an order and those planes were now armored, more heavily armored in those areas that had bullet holes in them. The survivability rate did not increase. And the reason that the survivability rate did not increase, some bright spot realized, like, holy shit, we are looking at the planes that came back. The planes that came back are fine, relatively speaking. What we should be doing is armoring the areas where there isn't battle damage. Because if you got shot in that area and your plane fucking crashed, you didn't come back and we can't do an analysis. So they inverted what they did and they started armoring up the areas where there wasn't battle damage and survivability went up. So why am I, why am I telling that? Totally random story. I'm telling that random story because if we look at Among Us and we look at examples like that of self-published games that have done super well, we are looking at the guys that rolled the dice and rolled craps, like or didn't roll craps. I can't. I haven't played craps in a while. I can't remember if that's good. Um, but we're looking at the guys that that, that scored, right? Um, <coughs> You should take lessons from the winners, but don't be, be careful of taking too many. So, I mean, the, the ultimate question was, does it put more pressure on devs who self-publish? And the answer is yes. I mean, the again, take everything I say with a grain of salt because I'm a publisher and I benefit. Uh, if, if everybody agrees with me that it's good to have a publisher, that's good for me, right? So you should take everything I say with a grain of salt because I'm not unbiased in this calculation. But I genuinely believe that in this environment where there are 220 games on Steam last week and there's going to be 230 games on Steam this week, in that environment, yeah, you want a publisher. And and if the thing that I was talking about a few minutes ago that, that this, this gentleman asked about, if that is going to become standard operating procedure, the two-week campaign, the two-week high-intensity campaign, yeah. 
I mean, it, it is going to benefit people with big war chests who can fund marketing operations, and it's going to benefit publishers. And that's not to say that there aren't going to be self-published games that break out and do well, because, because there always will be. The, the question is, what strategy is more likely to work for you? And having a, having a big marketing budget to make that two-week campaign sing you want that one way or another. And, and, and there's other ways to get it. You don't necessarily need a publisher, right? You can, you can go to a fund like Kowloon Knights and tell them, I'm going to, you know, go, go to Kowloon and tell them, I'm going to hire a Western Europe and Eastern Europe and a US PR agency, and I'm going to hire two influencer agencies, and we're going to do all of this, and I'll manage it. Just give me the money. And if Kowloon gives you the money, you're in business. But yeah, I think I think people benefit from having publishers these days. I really do. And I I agree. You know, when we get that question, my answer is always, "Have you published a game before?" You know, yeah. and and if you have, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have published a successful, one. because like yeah. you said, you now know where your airplane is getting shot, even though it didn't make it back across the channel. Yeah. The the reality is right now we see this cycle all the time. I mean, for years we see it, you don't need a publisher and then people start getting a publisher and then yeah. it's like, okay, now we need a publisher. And then inevitably, you know, in another year or two, something's going to change and people are like, Oh, well, I don't need a publisher anymore. And we're going to do this cycle over and over and over. Like we've done for the last 30 years. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> so this is awesome. And, I've got a hard stop coming up in about 10 minutes. So I'm not, you know, cutting us off completely here. I'm just giving you those who are out there listening and watching. If you've got a question for Fernando, get it in quick. Cause we are running on the end of time here. Um, had a question come in from Periscope uh, for Twitter. Or I don't really understand the difference between the two anyway. <laughs> Whatever. I'm just happy someone is watching us on Periscope. <laughs> so, um, Start our comment says, if a game is going through major design changes, is it a bad time to pitch it? Ah, okay, good. This is another one where I can give a nice, clear, unequivocal answer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a bad time to pitch the game. You... Um, if there's one thing for sure, right, and, and and not every publisher thinks like me, so, you know, apply the usual sort of caveats, um, I don't want to design your game for you. And you don't want me to design your game for you either, right? Um, I'm going to give you tons of feedback. My team's going to give you tons of feedback. We're going to give you lots of ideas. But at the end of the day, it's your game. And what we're investing in is you and your game and the vision that you sold us on. So... You better know what the hell the game is before you pitch me, <laughs> because if your if your city builder turns into a, a coming of age visual novel midway through development, I'm not gonna love that. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely a bad time to pitch the game. All right, so I'll follow up with that with a question that we get a lot. What about yeah. developers that come to you and say, "This is the game we want to make." Yeah. Versus the ones that say, we've got three in early production. Which one do you want? Oh, I want I want the first one. I want the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I've, yeah, I, I have, I, I don't think it is a great stratagem to, to rock up to a publisher with three different pitches. 
because what what I want, I want the game that you're excited to make. And I, if you're going to sell me and you're going to get me fucking pumped to help you make that game, for us to make that game together and, and market it together and, and, and make it a hit, I want you to be all in on that idea because I'm going to be all in on that idea. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm devoting years of people's time and lots of money to helping you do it. Uh, I'm all in. So I want you to come to me with one idea. I, I don't want to see uh, a salad bar of potential concepts. I could do that. Right. That's not what I want. I want the thing that you're, excited to make and the team's excited to make and everybody's bought into the vision that's what i want so um our our good friend leo just, just joined us and, and no one authorized you to be sleeping leo i know you were ungodly random hours but you know how dare you go to sleep during our so for those of you who do not know liam and you know tom and indie game lover are the folks behind the picture game phenomenon oh on, on twitch that on, twitch, on twitter and so it, if you if you don't follow it it's fantastic once a month basically the hashtag starts trending everywhere because developers are challenged to pitch their game either to a consumer or to a publisher in a tweet so Again, you've already got dozens, if not hundreds of games coming at you. And now here's, I don't know what the stat, but their stats are ridiculous on how many pitches yeah. can burn out in there. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. How has that changed? What are you looking for? I mean, how does, like you said, it's, it's become a lot more democratized. How mm. has that changed your job as an acquisitions person? Yeah, I mean, uh, so, I mean, I'm grateful to Liam. Um I mean, I'm not the first. I'm not the first to say this. I I, I think Callum Callum Underwood's been saying this when he does talks for years. I mean, one of the favorite trawling grounds for publisher scouts uh, and publishers in general is Screenshot Saturday, um, because Screenshot Saturday is just like this lovely kind of buffet of interesting leads. Uh, and what Liam has done, he's basically created more screenshot saturday and, and and you know screenshot saturday is not I, I i think generally speaking when people are posting on screenshot saturday they're trying to build a community they're trying to talk to their fans they're not necessarily hunting for publishers so what what, what leo's created with pitching game which is which is just phenomenal um is is catered to me right it's it's literally uh created to 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 make my life easier so i love it i i think it's great um <clears throat> The, uh, the the diversity of, of ideas and, uh, and of developers on there is is, is phenomenal. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, of what he's doing. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I think it's great. And I think, uh, you know, if, if you are inclined to participate in pitch a game and you're not trying to keep your super secret pitch so you can send me the super secret pitch, which is great, <laughs> but but if you are you know out there sharing it with folks, absolutely get involved with stuff like that because uh, that is a great way to get eyeballs and get visibility. So th there you have it. You know, Fernando says, "Don't talk to anybody about your game 
and until it just comes me. time for the picture <laughs> game. And then he's trolling Twitter just like the rest of us are. Um, so, I mean, shameless plug, the official home on Discord for picture game is actually our server now because Ooh. we love Liam and, and, and we work together on that. And so you can participate. And then for the other 29 days of the month, you can get continuous feedback and, and talk to all the folks on, on our Discord, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, yep. All right. So I, I truly hate this, but I've got to run. I've got no, a no, no, no. call coming in like you're, four minutes. You're a busy man, Jay. You're a busy man. All right. So I'm going to pin you down on one more thing. And since you were a Marine, this is probably going to be the easiest pitch of my entire life. Oh. Uh, Indy's 12 Days of Indy is coming up in a few weeks, and it benefits Toys for Tots. And so, does it? Yes. And so, we need keys to give away games to raise money for kids. So, I'll expect say, say no more. In, in I'm, the, listen, in I will send you keys for Necronator Dead Ron, which came out of early access in July. I'll send you keys for Astronauts, which launched in early access in September. And I'm going to send you keys because it's Toys for Tots, the Marine Corps' own charity. I am going to send you keys for Cosmocrats, which isn't even out yet. It's out first week in November. I will send you keys for that. Well, that's, nice. that's when the event is too, isn't it? Yeah, it starts on the 4th. It's a 12-day long marathon on my oh. Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash indie. It's the eighth year in a row so far. Indie, you're going to have brand new just-released game from Modern Wolf Cosmocrats to give away. Excellent. And, and if you want to donate money too, we are also taking donations. So <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll be in there. I'll be in there with my credit card. Awesome. Excellent. It's a... We get we have like about forty, a lot of smaller streamers come in on the partner channel, and it's a good time. A lot of crazy stuff happens. I love it. No, that's great. That's uh, that's uh, that is fantastic. That's fantastic. I'll be there. For, Fernando, this is awesome. I really appreciate you you doing this. Uh, I'm I'm going to hold you to the fact that we're going to get you on, you know, the next indie game business sessions event, which is coming up in the first Let's week of it. December. Let's, uh, Let's do it. it. I'm there. I love it. I mean, I, honestly, Jay, it, it's been a thrill for me to be on the show. I love, I love the show. Uh, I love you guys. Uh, thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. I hope I wasn't too obnoxious. And uh, oh, this is perfect. This is, <laughs> if we well, get awesome. stock answers to everything, no one learns anything. So, yeah, watch, watching Jay blossom as a broadcaster. Uh oh, <laughs> Uh-oh. this might have been your Wally Pitt moment, Indy. <sighs> Yes, yeah, it is. All right, so let's do the closing here. Uh, join our Discord, discord.gg slash indie game business. Uh, also, you can hit up our Facebook and Twitter. This stuff's information is scrolling at the bottom of the screen. Really, if you just Google indie game business, you're going to get all the things. And uh, also, this is going to be a podcast on anchor.fm slash indie game business plus all, all of the other podcast platforms because Anchor is awesome. It distributes them. And any last words? No, I love leaving that to you because I never remember all that stuff. All right. <laughs> Let's enjoy our weekend. Thank you so much. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Thanks y'all. Good to see you. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.